Hallo, Libby. Hallo. Um, you know, it's been a minute since I read to you last. Today is Monday, March 7th. And um, not much has really changed. I mean, I did, I, I will say this. I'm, I need to say this because I will forget. Because I already forgot. So I wanted to shout out some more people who've reached out to me on Instagram. Steph. Stefan, Stefan, I don't know how to say your name, dude. Um, Stefan, Steven, Stevon. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, but I, I don't know. Okay. Um, and Ruth. Wazoop. Um, thank you for reaching out. Shout out to you. Anyway, um, I guess what has happened? Nothing, nothing, nothing. <sighs> nothing really happened at work. I did have my one-on-one with Clavin today. Clavin. He has such a unique name. I love it. And <clears throat> Ooh, speaking of names. Which you all also have a I think Libby is quite a unique a unique name. Um not unheard of, but you know it's pretty unique. And so speaking of names, what's your plan? I feel like have we had this conversation? And if so, I'm really sorry, but we, we should, I need to add this to an agenda of talking points. Oh, I should just make an agenda. I have a pen. I have a paper. I should just make an agenda for the next time we talk. Name. And, oh, I do mean to say this. I don't, I sincerely mean what I say when I say I don't give a shit how much money I have to pay if I, I don't care. I'll pay money. I'll pay big dollars to see you I'll, and spend time with you and interact with you and be in your presence because I love you so much. You're my favorite. But, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm excited to get those dresses. I think they're coming soon, hopefully by the end of this week, so I can try it on and see which way is better, and then if both of them don't fit, I can go, well, shoot, I guess I... I guess I give them my measurements and they make me a custom dress and I hope that it fits me proper. Um, that's a little scary, but we'll see. I'm a little bit nervous, but it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, yeah, nothing else. What has happened? Nothing. I feel like I'm just a sack. I'm just a lazy sack. I just lay around and do nothing. I just watch The Simpsons. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so my, also, what's something that happened today is that my goddaughter was born. She was born a month early. Scooty, you need to stop. Just no, no, no. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but that's cool. Wazoo. Welcome to the world, girlfriend. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't feel like much else happened. So, do I just get to the business? I just jump right in? It's, sometimes I feel like I have a lot to say, and other times I'm like, I have nothing to say. What's happened? Nothing has happened since last... Oh, Scooty. Bug. Oh. He just took a digger. He's, like, walking on a pile of blankets, but, like, you know, Scooty, no. Blankets are squishy. squishy. So he just, like, underestimates a step. But also, he's kind of sedate. He has just taken some medicine that will make him sedate. Um, and also, as per usual, I, I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds like poo. Or if the quality is not there. My, my bad. And also my voice. I don't know. My voice is still feeling funky. Still feeling strained. Scooty, come on. And um, also sorry because I feel like... This whole book is like, you know, going to be doing some referring back to some characters. And I don't know what kind of voice I did. And I hope, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I've done. I don't know what to expect for the future. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, anyway. This is chapter 13 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows by J.K. Rowling. Rowling. 
whichever, Patronus, Patronus, I don't know, I have no idea, I'm so sorry. Chapter 13, oh yes, this is not written by me, I didn't write this, this is not, you know what I'm saying, that's not me, okay, I'm just reading this, so, yeah, reading it for Libby, this, this one's for you, girl, as per usual, but I guess if you're here, hello. Um, but yeah, the microphone I feel is weird because I have it kind of off to the side, but then I'm like, okay, well, if you were actually sitting next to me, if we were just like sitting together reading, that's probably how it'd be sitting unless you're, I don't know, you know, that's what I imagine. <laughs> Chapter 13, the Muggleborn Registration Commission. Ugh. The chapter art is a drawing of, I don't know, is this a plaque? It looks like maybe a plaque with um, an eyeball on it and like, like there's an eyeball on a piece of wood and then on the piece of wood is bolted a piece of metal. That looks like a plaque, but I can't see anything written on it. So, <clears throat> oh, here we go. Ah, Mafalda said Umbridge, looking at Hermione. Trevor sent you, did he? Y yes, squeaked Hermione. Good. You'll do perfectly well, Umbridge spoke to the wizard in black and gold. That's Th that's that problem solved, Minister. If Mafalda can be spared for record keeping, we shall be able to start straight away. She consulted her clipboard. Ten people today, and one of them the wife of a ministry employee. Tut tut. Even here in the heart of the ministry. She stepped into the lift beside Hermione, as did the two wizards who had been listening to Umbridge's conversation with the minister. We'll go straight down, Mafalda. You'll find everything you need in the courtroom. Good morning, Albert. Aren't you getting out? Yes, of course, said Harry in Runcorn's deep voice. <laughs> yes, of course. Hmm. Harry stepped out of the lift. The golden grills clanged shut behind him. Glancing over his shoulder... Harry saw Hermione's anxious face sinking back out of sight, a tall wizard on either side of her, Umbridge's velvet hair bow level with her shoulder. Okay, as per usual, my mouth and throat so dry. And to prevent disaster, I'm going to take a swig of this weird water. Weird lemon water. Artily, art, artily, <laughs> artificially lemoned water, so to speak. Hmm. And a hoot. Um, yeah, where was I? Right, right, right. Harry stepped out of the lift. The golden grills clinked shut behind him. Glancing over his shoulder, Harry saw Hermione's anxious face sinking back out of sight. A tall wizard on either side of her. Umbridge's, oh, I already read this. <laughs> um, what brings you up here, Runcorn? Asked the new minister of magic. His long black hair and beard were streaked with silver, and a great overhanging forehead shadowed his glinting eyes. Overhanging forehead. Overhanging. Is this like a, like a caveman forehead? Is that, you're saying it nicely? Um, anyway, sorry. Putting, it's okay, it's not mean, because, well, it is mean. Maybe. I don't know, what is it called? I, I don't know. I feel like I don't want to say stupid words, but I've already done it, so, anyway. Putting Harry in mind of a crab looking out from underneath a rock. <laughs> okay, interesting, alright. Needed a quick word with... Oh, sorry. Needed a quick word with... Harry hesitated for a fraction of a second. Arthur Weasley. Someone said he was up on level one. Ah, said Pius Thickness. Has he been caught having contact with an undesirable? 
No, said Harry, his throat dry. No, nothing like that. Ah, well, it's only a matter of time, said Thickness. If you ask me, the blood traitors are as bad as the mudbloods. Good day, Runcorn. Good day, Minister. Harry watched Thickness march away along the thickly carpeted corridor. The movement the minister had pa- The movement? What am I saying? The moment the minister had passed out of sight. Harry tugged the invisibility cloak out from under his heavy black cloak, threw it over himself, and set off along the corridor in the opposite direction. Runcorn was so tall that Harry was forced to stoop to make sure his big feet were hidden. Oh, man. Sometimes it do suck to be tall, but also most of the time it don't suck to be tall. Because I'm just looking around. I had this thought the other day when I saw Seth in the hallway, and he was walking through, and I looked over the cubicle. Like, if I wasn't... um, Like, Miranda can't... Mar- There's no way Miranda can see over the cubicle. She's like four feet, some ten? I don't know. She's tiny. She's short. She's small compared to me, and I'm just like, I don't know, just looking over the top of it. I suppose in a way that's like a strange privilege. I don't know. It's weird. But um, it feels powerful. No, just kidding. I just never really think about it because it wouldn't occur to me that I wouldn't be able to see over the thing, you know, unless I did the calculations. <laughs> or Miranda came to my desk and I saw how tiny she was. And I'm like, no, yeah, of course, you're small. You wouldn't be able to see over there. Anyway. Um, where was I? I have no idea where I was. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm, right, big feet. His big feet being hidden. Okay, sure, being tall. Yeah, I have big feet too, which I guess is, a, I don't know, maybe a consequence of being tall? Anyway. Panic pulsed in the pit of... <laughs> that was pretty good, though. I hit all of them. Panic pulsed in the pit of his stomach. As he passed, gleaming wooden door after gleaming wooden door, each bearing a small plaque with the owner's name and occupation upon it. The might of the ministry, its complexity, its impenetrability, seemed to force itself upon him, so that the plan he had been carefully concocting with Ron and Hermione over the last four weeks seemed laughably childish. They had concentrated all their efforts on getting inside without being detected. They had not given a moment's thought to what they would do if they were forced to separate. Now Hermione was stuck in court proceedings, which would undoubtedly last hours. Ron was struggling to do magic that Harry was sure was beyond him. A woman's liberty possibly depending on, a woman's liberty possibly depending on the outcome, and he, Harry was wandering around on the top floor when he knew perfectly well that his quarry had just gone down in the lift. Quarry. Quarry. I don't know. Quarry. Quarry. Yeah, sure. He stopped walking, leaned against a wall, and decided, and hoo-hoo-hoo, and tried to decide what to do. (sighs) Sorry, I'm feeling wheezy. Anyway, it's hard to breathe. I'm gonna be okay, though. Don't worry about me. (laughs) The silence pressed upon him. There was no bustling or talk or swift footsteps here. The purple carpeted corridors were as hushed as though the muffliato charm had been cast over the place. Her office must be up here, Harry thought. It seemed most unlikely that Umbridge would keep her jewelry in her office, but on the other hand, it seemed foolish not to search it to make sure. He therefore set off along the corridor again, passing nobody but a frowning wizard whose murmuring instructions to a quill that floated in front of him, scribbling on a trail of parchment. Now paying attention to the names on the doors, Harry turned a corner. Halfway along the next corridor, he emerged into a wide open space where a dozen witches and wizards sat in rows at small desks, not unlike school desks. Though, though much more highly polished and free of graffiti, graffiti. You know what? I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't help but to draw on a desk. But not really. Maybe just at school. Ooh. Ooh. 
Anyway. Harry paused to watch them, for the effect was quite mesmerizing. They were all waving and twiddling their wands in unison, and colors of... I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Squares of colored paper were flying in every direction like little pink kites. Wait, okay, so some of them are pink and others are other colors? Or are they just all pink? I don't know. Weird. After a few seconds, Harry realized that there was a rhythm to the proceedings, that the papers all formed the same pattern, and after a few more seconds, he realized that what he was watching was the search... In the creation of pamphlets, that the paper squares were pages, which, when assembled, folded, and magicked into place, fell into neat stacks beside each witch or wizard. Harry, cl 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 Harry crept closer, although the workers were so intent on what they were doing that he doubted they would notice a carpet muffled footstep, and he slid a completed pamphlet from the pile beside a young witch. He examined it beneath the invisibility cloak. Its pink cover was emblazoned with a golden title. Mudbloods and the dangers they pose to a peaceful, pure-blood society. Beneath the title was a picture of a red rose with a simpering face in the middle of its petals, being strangled by a green weed with fangs and a scowl. Ooh. What the hell? There was no author's name. Why? That's like weird imagery. Like the rose. What's the deal? I don't get that. There was no author's name upon the pamphlet. But again, the scars on the back of his right hand seemed to tingle as he examined it. Then the young witch beside him confirmed his suspicion as she said, still waving and twirling her wand. Will the old hag be interrogating mudbloods all day? Does anyone know? Careful, said the wizard bizarre, bizarre. Mm. The wizard beside her. That's like, if it's like a movie title, if they had, if they had movies. The wizard beside her. <laughs> okay, sorry, where was I? Where was the wizard beside I have to find those words on the page now and I lost them. Oh no. Where did they go? Blah 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 Sure, sure, where is it is it? Right, careful. Careful, said the wizard beside her. Glancing around nervously, one of his pages slipped and fell to the floor. What, has she got magical ears as well as an eye now? The witch glanced toward the shining mahogany door, facing the space full of pamphlet makers. Harry looked too, and rage reared in him like a snake. Where there might have been a peephole on a muggle front door, a large round eye with a br Oh, okay, so it wasn't a plaque, it was a door. So sorry. <laughs> <coughs> coronavirus, just kidding, I don't have coronavirus, but I do have a raging cough. A wheeziness, so to speak. Anyway. The witch glanced toward the shining mahogany door facing the space full of pamphlet makers. All right, yes, mm, large, mm -hmm, sure, where there was a peephole, there's a muggle front door, oh, there's a large round eye with a bright blue iris had been set into the wood, an eye that was shockingly familiar to anybody who had known Alistair Moody. For a split second, Harry forgot where he was and what he was doing there. He even forgot that he was invisible. He strode straight over to the door to examine the eye. It was not moving. It gazed blindly upward, frozen. The plaque beneath it read, Oh, it's another word. Dolores Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Minister. Below that, a slightly shinier new plaque read, Head of the Muggleborn Registration Commission. Harry looked back at the dozen pamphlet makers. Though they were intent upon their work, he could hardly suppose that they would not notice if the door of an empty office opened in front of them. He therefore withdrew from an inner pocket an odd object 
can you hear, I feel like if you, I don't know if you can hear that, but I can hear myself wheezing. It's creeping me out. He therefore withdrew from an inner pocket an odd object with little waving legs and a rubber bulbed horn. A rubber bulbed horn for body. Crouching down beneath the cloak, he placed the decoy detonator on the ground. It scuttled, scuttled, scuttled away at once through the legs of the witches and wizards in front of him. A few moments later, during which Harry waited with his hand upon the doorknob, there came a loud bang and a great deal of acrid black smoke billowed from a corner. The young witch in the front row shrieked. Pink pages flew everywhere as she and her fellows jumped up, looking around for the source of the commotion. Harry turned the doorknob, stepped into Umbridge's office, and closed the door behind him. He felt he had stepped back in time. The room was exactly like Umbridge's office at Hogwarts. Lace draperies, doilies, and dried flowers covered every available surface. The walls bore the same ornamental plates, each featuring a highly colored, be-ribboned kitten, gamboling and frisking with sickening cuteness. One kitties. You know I have a soft spot for kitties. The desk was covered with a flouncy, flowered cloth. Behind Mad Eye's behind Mad Eye's eye, a telescopic attachment enabled Umbridge to spy on the workers on the other side of the door. Harry took a look through it and saw that they were all still gathered around the decoy detonator. He wrenched the telescope out of the door, leaving a hole behind, pulled the magical eyeball out of it, and placed it in his pocket. Then he turned to face the room again, raised his wand, and murmured, Accio Locket. Nothing happened, but he had not expected it to. No doubt Umbridge knew all about protective charms and spells. He therefore hurried behind her desk and began pulling open the drawers. He saw quills and notebooks and spellotape, enchanted paper clips that coiled snake-like from their drawer and had to be beaten back. Aw, the poor enchanted paper clips. A fussy little lace box full of spare hair bows and clips, but no sign of a locket. There was a filing cabinet behind the desk. Harry set, this, set to searching it. Like Filch's filing cabinets at Hogwarts, it was full of folders, each labeled with a name. It was not until Harry reached the bottommost drawer that he saw something to distract him from his search. Mr. Weasley's file. He pulled it out and opened it. Arthur Weasley. Blood status. Pure blood, but with unacceptable pro-muggle learning leanings. Known member of the Order of the Phoenix. Family. Wife. Pure blood. Seven children. Two youngest at Hogwarts. N.B. Youngest son currently at home, seriously ill. Ministry inspectors have confirmed. N.B. Anyway. Security status. Tracked. That's in all caps, if you didn't catch that. <laughs> all movements are being monitored. Strong likelihood undesirable number one will contact. Has stayed with Weasley family previously. Undesirable number one, Harry muttered under his breath as he replaced Mr. Weasley's folder and shut the drawer. He had an idea he knew who that was, and sure enough, as he straightened up and glanced around the office for fresh hiding places, he saw a poster of himself on the wall with the words, Undesirable number one, <laughs> emblazoned across his chest. A little pink note was stuck to it with a picture of a kitten in the corner. Harry moved across to read it and saw that Umbridge had written, To be punished. Angrier than ever, he proceeded to grope in the bottoms of the vases and baskets of dried flowers was not at all surprised that the locket was not there. He gave the office one last sweeping look, and his heart skipped a beat. Dumbledore was staring at him from a small rectangular mirror, propped up on a bookcase beside the desk. Harry crossed the room at a run and snatched it up, but realized the moment he touched it that it was not a mirror at all. Why would you think it's a mirror? That's crazy. Dumbledore was smiling wistfully out of the front cover 
of a glossy book. Harry had not immediately noticed the curly green writing across his hat. The life and lies of Albus Dumbledore, nor the slightly smaller writing across his chest, by Rita Skeeter, best-selling author of Armando Dippet, Master or Moron. Harry opened the book at random and saw a full-page photograph of two teenage boys, both laughing immoderately with their arms around each other's shoulders. <coughs> Excuse, pardon me, I'm so sorry. Dumbledore. Maybe I should just take a swig. Maybe that's what I need to do. All right, consider it swugged. <laughs> Dumbledore, now with elbow-length hair, had grown a tiny wispy beard, a tiny wispy beard, that recalled the one on Crumb's chin that had so annoyed Ron. The boy who roared in silent amusement beside Dumbledore had a gleeful, wild look about him. His golden hair fell in curls to his shoulders. Harry wondered whether it was a young... Doge. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dodge. But before he could check the caption, the door of the office opened. If Thickness had not been looking over his shoulder as he entered, Harry would not have had time to pull the invisibility cloak over himself. As it was, he thought Thickness might have caught a glimpse of movement, because for a moment or two he remained quite still, staring curiously at the place where Harry had just vanished. Perhaps deciding that all he had seen was Dumbledore scratching his nose on the front of the book, for Harry had hastily replaced it upon the shelf. Thickness finally walked to the desk and pointed his wand at the quill stand ready in the ink pot. It sprang out and began scribbling a note to Umbridge. Very slowly, hardly daring to breathe, Harry backed out of the office into the open area beyond. The pamphlet makers were still clustered around the remains of the decoy detonator which continued to hoot feebly as it smoked. Harry hurried off up the corridor as the young witch said, I bet it sneaked up here with experimental charms. I'm sorry, from experimental charms. They're so careless. Remember that poisonous duck? Speeding back toward the lifts. Poisonous duck. Poisonous is when you eat it. Venomous is when it eats you, right? I don't know. I'm not going to get too deep, but I already did. <laughs> Speeding back toward the lifts. Lift us up. The Vaders, the elevators. Harry reviewed his options. It had never been likely that the locket was here at the ministry, and there was no hope of bewitching its whereabouts out of umbrage while she was sitting in a crowded court. Their priority now had to be to leave the ministry before they were exposed and try again another day. The first thing to do was to find Ron, and then they could work out a way of extracting Hermione from the courtroom. The lift was empty when it arrived. Harry jumped in and pulled off the invisibility cloak as it started its descent. To his enormous relief, when it rattled to a halt at level two, a soaking wet and wild-eyed Ron got in. Morning, he stammered to Harry as the lift set off again. Ron, it's me, Harry. Harry, blimey, I forgot what you looked like. I'm so Ron, it's me, Harry. <laughs> Harry, blimey, I forgot what you looked like. Why isn't Hermione with you? Ooh, is it a Mickey Mouse voice? <laughs> she had to go down to the courtrooms with Umbridge. She couldn't refuse and... But before Harry could finish, the lift had stopped again. The doors opened, and Mr. Le Mr. Weasley walked inside, talking to an elderly witch whose blonde hair was teased so high it resembled an anthill. Hashtag, the higher your hair, the closer to God. I quite understand what you're saying, Wakanda. Wakanda? Interesting. But I'm afraid I cannot be party to... Mister. Sometimes I'm just like, are you using words that you know are, like... Alright, whatever, okay. Mr. Weasley broke off. He had noticed Harry. It was very strange to have Mr. Weasley glare at him with that much dislike. 
The lift doors closed, and the four of them trundled downward once more. "'Oh, hello, Reg,' said Mr. Weasley, looking around at the sound of steady dripping from Ron's robes. "'Isn't your wife in for questioning today? Uh, what's happened to you? Why are you so wet?' "'Yaxley's office is raining,' said Ron. He addressed Mr. Weasley's shoulder, and Harry felt sure he was scared that his father might recognize him as they looked directly into each other's eyes. "'I couldn't stop it, so they've sent me to get Bernie. Pillsworth, I think they said.' "'Yes, a lot of offices have been raining lately,' said Mr. Weasley. "'Did you try Mediolog... <laughs> what? Mediologics Recanto?' It worked for Bletchley. Medial <laughs> Meteorology. Okay, honestly, can I just say this? I I would love to know, Libby, if, like, when you are dry, do you, first of all, do you listen to the radio, like your local radio? And if, or you're like your local news and stuff, I need to know because, like, meteorologist. Nobody says it like that. It's not how you say it. Meteorologist, right? Am I the dumb one, meteorologist? Am I stupid? Like, I... Am I mispronouncing it? Media... <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Meteorologist. I don't like the way... I don't like the way it is. But uh, I also can't say this word, so sorry about that, too. Mediologinx. Mediologinx. Ooh. Mediologinx, Ricanto. R whispered Ron. No, I didn't. Thanks, di I mean, thanks, Arthur. The lift doors opened, the old witch with the anthill hair left, and Ron darted past her out of sight. Harry made to follow him, but found his path blocked as Percy Weasley strode into the lift, his nose buried in some papers he was reading. Not until the doors had clanged shut again did Percy realize he was in the lift with his father. He glanced up, saw Mr. Weasley, turned radish red, and left the lift the moment the doors opened again. For the second time, Harry tried to get out, but this time found his way blocked by Mr. Weasley's arm. Mm. Swig! One moment, Runcorn. The lift doors closed as they clanked down another floor. Mr. Weasley said, I hear you laid information about Dirt Cresswell. Harry had the impression that Mr. Weasley's anger was no less because of the brush with Percy. He decided his best chance was to act stupid. Sorry, he said. Don't pretend, Runcorn, said Mr. Weasley fiercely. You tracked down the wizard who faked his family tree, didn't you? I, so what if I did, said Harry. So Dirk Cresswell is ten times the wizard you are, said Mr. Weasley quietly. Oh, I was supposed to say that quietly. So Dirk Cresswell's ten times the wizard you are, said Mr. Weasley quietly, as the lift sank ever lower. And if he survives Azkaban, you'll have to answer to him, not to mention his wife, his sons, and his friends. Arthur, Harry interrupted. You know you're being tracked, don't you? Is that a threat, Runcorn? said Mr. Weasley loudly. No, said Harry. It's a fact. They're watching your every move. The lift doors opened. They had reached the atrium. Mr. Weasley gave Harry a scathing look and swept from the lift. Harry stood there, shaken. He wished he was impersonating somebody other than Runcorn. The lift doors clanged shut. Harry pulled out the invisibility cloak and put it back on. He would try to extricate, <laughs> excruciate, no, Excuse me, I cannot breathe. He would try to extricate Hermione on his own while Ron was dealing with the reigning office. When the doors opened, he stepped out into a torchlit stone passageway, quite different from the wood-paneled and carpeted corridors above. As the lift rattled away again, Harry shivered slightly, looking toward the distant black door that marked the entrance to the Department of Mysteries. He set off. He set off. <laughs> Sorry. He set off. His destination, not the back. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It says black door. Not the black door, but the doorway he remembered on the left-hand side, 
which opened onto the flight of stairs down the court chamber, down to the stairs down to the court chamber. His mind grappled with possibilities as he crept down them. He still had a couple of decoy detonators, but perhaps it would be better to simply knock on the courtroom door, enter his runcorn, and ask for a quick word with Mafalda. Of course, he did not know whether Runcorn was sufficiently important to get away with this, and even if he managed it, Hermione's non-reappearance might trigger a search before they were clear of the ministry. <laughs> I feel like that, that felt pretty good. I don't know. Maybe that's not good. Maybe that's, maybe that's not good at all. <laughs> Lost in thought, he did not immediately register the unnatural chill that was creeping over him as if he were descending into fog. It was becoming colder and colder with every step he took, a cold that reached right down into his throat and tore at his lungs. And then he felt the stealing sense of despair, of hopelessness, filling him, expanding inside him. Dementors, he thought. And as he reached the foot of the stairs and turned to his right, he saw a dreadful scene. Hold on. If you were to produce a Patronus, okay, that took me a while, but I got it. And you were polyjuiced, like you were polyjuiced up as someone else and you did the thing. What would it be? Would it be your thing or would it be that person's thing? And you know what I mean. Questions. Are they going to be answered? Have they already been answered for me? And I neglect to remember these knowledges. I don't know. We'll see. And as he reached the foot of the stairs and turned to his right, he saw a dreadful scene. The dark passage outside the courtrooms was packed with tall, black-hooded figures, their faces completely hidden, their ragged breathing the only sound in the place. The petrified Muggleborns, brought in for questioning, sat huddled and shivering on hard wooden benches. Most of them were hiding their faces in their hands, perhaps in an instinctive attempt to shield themselves from the Dementor's greedy mouths. Some were accompanied by families, others sat alone. The Dementors were gliding up and down in front of them, and the cold and the hopelessness and the despair of the place laid themselves upon Harry like a curse. Fight it, he told himself, but he knew that he could not conjure a patroness Patronus, goddammit, here, without revealing himself instantly. So he moved forward as silently as he could, and with every step he took, numbness... I, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. Answer my question, thank you so much. With every step he took, numbness seemed to steal over his brain, but he forced himself to think of Hermione and of Ron, who needed him. Moving through... I feel like I'm a hiccup. Ooh, I'm so sorry. Moving through the towering black figures was terrifying. The eyeless faces hidden beneath their hoods turned as he passed. And he felt sure that they sensed him. Sensed, perhaps, a human presence that still had some hope, some resilience. And then, abruptly and shockingly amid the frozen silence, one of the dungeon doors on the left of the corridor was flung open and screams echoed out of it. No, no, I'm half-blood, I'm half-blood, I tell you. My father was a wizard, he was. Look him up, Archie Alderton. He's a well-known broomstick designer. Look him up. I tell you, get your hands off me. Get your hands off me. This is your final warning, said Umbridge's soft voice, magically magnified so that it sounded clearly over the man's desperate screams. If you struggle... You will be subjected to the Dementor's kiss. The man's screams subsided, but dry sobs echoed through the corridor. Take him away, said Umbridge. Two Dementors appeared in the doorway of the courtroom, their rotting, scabbed hands clutching the upper arms of a wizard who appeared to be fainting. They glided away down the corridor with him, and the darkness they trailed behind them swallowed him from sight. Next, Mary Cattermall, called Umbridge. 
A small woman stood up. She was trembling from head to foot. Her dark hair was smoothed back into a bun, and she wore long, plain robes. Her face was completely bloodless. As she passed the Dementors, Harry saw her, sh her shudder. Why, would, why did I think it said his shoulder? That would not make sense. Of course he saw her shoulder. <laughs> he did it instinctively, without any sort of plan, because he hated the sight of her walking alone into the dungeon. As the door began to swing close, he slipped into the courtroom behind her. It was not the same room in which he had once been interrogated for improper use of magic. This one was much smaller, though the ceiling was quite as high. It gave the claustrophobic sense of being stuck at the bottom of a deep well. Ooh, that feels like a mindfuck. Ooh. There were more Dementors in here, casting their freezing aura. 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 Over the place. They stood like faceless sentinels in the corners farthest from the high raised platform. Here, behind a balustrade, I don't know what this word is, I'm just guessing, sat Umbridge, with Yaxley on one side of her, and Hermione, quite as white-faced as Mrs. Cattermole, on the other. At the foot of the platform, a bright silver long-haired cat prowled up and down, up and down, and Harry realized that it was there to protect the prosecutors from the despair that emanated from the Dementors. That was for the accused to feel, not the accusers. Sit down, said Umbridge, in her soft, silky voice. Why would you say silky? What does that even mean? Mrs. Cattermole stumbled to the single... S <coughs> I can feel it rumbling in my throat. Swig. Mrs. Cattermole stumbled to the single seat in the middle of the floor, beneath the raised platform. The moment she had sat down, chains clinked out of the arms of the chair and bound her there. "'You are Mary Elizabeth Cattermole?' asked Umbridge. Mrs. Cattermole gave a, a single shaky nod. "'Married to Reginald Cattermole?' Of the magical maintenance department? Mrs. Cattermole burst into tears. I don't know where he is. He was supposed to meet me here. Umbridge ignored her. Mother to Maisie, Ellie, and Alfred Cattermole? Mrs. Cattermole sobbed harder than ever. They're frightened. They think I might not come home. Spare us, spat Yaxley. The brats of mudbloods do not stir our sympathies. Ooh. Mrs. Cattermole sobs masked Harry's footsteps as he made his wake. How do you know they're masking your footsteps? Okay, whatever. As he made his way carefully toward the steps that led up to the raised platform, the moment he had passed the place where the pat Patronus Cat patrolled, okay, Patronus cat patrolled. He felt the change in temperature. It was warm and comfortable here. The patronet, pat, patronet, Patronus, he was sure, was Umbridge's. And it glowed brightly because she was so happy here in her element, upholding the twisted laws she had helped to write. Slowly and very carefully, he edged his way along the platform behind Umbridge. Yaxley and Hermione, taking a seat behind the ladder. He was worried about making Hermione jump. He thought of casting the Muffliato charm upon Umbridge and Yaxley, but even murmuring the word might cause Hermione alarm. Then Umbridge raised her voice to address Mrs. Cattermole, and Harry seized his chance. I'm behind you, he whispered into Hermione's ear. As he had expected, she jumped so violently, she nearly overturned the bottle of ink, with which she was supposed to be recording the interview. But both Umbridge and Yaxley were concentrating upon Mrs. Cattermole, and this went unnoticed. A wand was taken from you upon your arrival at the ministry today, Mrs. Cattermole, Umbridge was saying. Eight and three-quarters inches 
Cherry unicorn hair. Do you recognize that description? Mrs. Cattermull nodded, mopping her eyes on her sleeve. Can you please, could you please tell us from which, from which witch? <laughs> which witch? Oh, wizard, you took the wand? Took, sobbed Mrs. Cattermull. I didn't t take it from anybody. I b bought it when I was 11 years old. It, it, it chose me, she cried harder than ever. Umbridge laughed a soft, girlish laugh that made Harry want to attack her. She leaned forward over the barrier, the better to observe her victim. And something gold swung forward, too, and dangled over the void. The locket. Hermione had seen it. She let out a little squeak, but Umbridge and Yaxley, still intent upon their prey, were deaf to everything else. No, said Umbridge. No, I don't think so, Mrs. Cattermole. Wands only choose witches or wizards. You are not a witch. I have your responses to the questionnaire that was sent to you here, Mafalda. Pass them to me. Umbridge held, out, Umbridge held out a small hand. She looked so toad-like at that moment that Harry was quite surprised. He was quite surprised not to see webs between the stubby fingers. Ooh, I have stubby fingers. Now I'm self-conscious. Hermione's hands were shaking with shock. Shaking with shock. She fumbled in a pile of documents balanced on the chair beside her, finally withdrawing a sheaf of parchment with Mrs. Catamull's name on it. That's, that's pretty, Dolores, she said, pointing at the pendant gleaming at the ruffled folds of Umbridge's blouse. What? snapped Umbridge, glancing down. Oh, yes. An old family heirloom, she said, patting the locket, lying on her large bosom. The S stands for Selwyn. I am related to the Selwyns. Indeed, there are few pure-blood families to whom I am not related. A pity, she continued in a louder voice. Flicking through Mrs. Cattermole's questionnaire. Oops. A pity that the same cannot be said for you. Parents, professions, greengrocers. Yaxley laughed jeeringly. Below, the fluffy silver cat patrolled up and down, and the Dementors stood waiting in the corners. It was Umbridge's lie that brought the blood surging into Harry's brain and obliterated his sense of caution that the locket she had taken as a bribe from a petty criminal was being used to bolster her own pure-blood credentials. He raised his wand, not even troubling to keep it concealed beneath the invisibility cloak, and said, Stupefy! There was a flash of red light. Umbridge crumpled and her forehead hit the edge of the bal balustrade. I don't know if that's how you say it, but I'm going to keep saying it like that. Mrs. Catamull's papers slid off her lap onto the floor and, down below, the prowling silver cat vanished. Ice-cold air hit them like an oncoming wind. Well, yeah. Yaxley, confused, looked around for the source of the trouble and saw Harry's disembodied hand and wand pointing at him. He tried to draw his own wand, but too late. Stupefy! Yaxley slid to the ground to lie curled on the floor. Harry! Hermione! If you think I was going to sit here and let her pretend... Harry! Mrs. Cattermole! Harry whirled around, throwing off the invisibility cloak. Down below, the Dementors had moved out of their corners. They were gliding toward the woman chained to the chair. Whether because the patroness had vanished, or because they sensed that their masters were no longer in control, they seemed to have abandoned restraint. Mrs. Cattermole let out a terrible scream of fear as a slimy, scabbed hand grasped her chin and forced her face back. Expecto Patronum! The silver stag soared from the tip <laughs> of Harry's wand and leaped toward the Dementors, which fell back and melted into the dark shadows again. The stag's light 
more powerful and more warming than the cat's protection, filled the whole dungeon as it cantered around and around the room. Mmm. Swig. Get the Horcrux, Harry told Hermione. He ran back down the steps, stuffing the invisibility cloak back into his bag and approached Mrs. Cattermole. You? She whispered, gazing into his face. But, but Reg said you were the one who submitted my name for questioning. Did I? muttered Harry, tugging at the chains, binding her arms. Well, I've had a change of heart. Defendo! Nothing happened. Hermione, how do I get rid of these chains? Wait, I'm trying something up here. Hermione, we're surrounded by Dementors. I know that, Harry, but if she wakes up and the locket's gone, I need to replicate it. Geminio! There, that should fool her. Hermione came running downstairs. Let's see, Relascio! The chains clinked and withdrew into the arms of the chair. Mrs. Cattermole looked just as frightened as ever before. I don't understand, she whispered. You're going to leave here with us, said Harry, pulling her to her feet. Go home, grab your children and get out. Get out of the country if you've got to. Disguise yourselves and run. You've seen how it is. You won't get anything like a fair hearing here. Harry, said Hermione, how are we going to get out of here with all the dementors outside the door? Patronuses, said Harry. <coughs> Excuse me, said Harry, pointing his wand at his own. The stag slowed and walked, still gleaming brightly toward the door. As many as we can muster. Do yours, Hermione. Oh, I need to swig. Expect, expecto patronum, said Hermione. Nothing happened. It's the only spell she ever has trouble with, Harry told the completely bemused Mrs. Cattermole. Bit unfortunate, really. Come on, Hermione. Expecto Patronum! A silver otter burst from the end. Otter. 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 Now I'm fixated. A silver otter burst from the end of Hermione's wand and swam gracefully through the air to join the stag. Come on, said Harry, and he led Hermione and Mrs. Cattermole to the door. With the Patronuses gl When the Patronuses glided out of the dungeon, there were cries of shock from the people waiting outside. Harry looked around. The Dementors were falling back on both sides of them, melding into the darkness, scattering before the silver creatures. Wait, you can just, like, they just disappear? They just, like vaporize they can apparate is that like uh, what it's been decided that you should all go home and go into hiding with your families harry told the waiting muggleborns who were dazzled by the light of the patronuses and still cowering slightly go abroad if you can just get well away from the ministry that's the uh new official position now if you'll just follow the patronuses you'll be able to leave with the atrium leave from the atrium they managed to get up the stone steps without being intercepted, but as they approached the lifts, Harry started to have misgivings. If they emerged into the atrium with a silver stag, an otter soaring alongside it, and twenty or so people, half of them accused Muggleborns, he could not help feeling that they would attract unwanted attention. He had just reached this unwelcome conclusion when the lift changed to a halt in front of, clanged to a halt in front of them. Reg! screamed Mrs. Cattermole, and she threw herself into Ron's arms. Runcorn, let me out! He attacked Umbridge and Yaxley, and he's told all of us to leave the country. I think we'd better do it. Reg, I really do. Let's hurry home and fetch the children, and why are you so wet? Water, muttered Ron, disengaging himself. Harry, they know there are intruders inside the ministry. Something about a hole in Umbridge's office door. I reckon we've got five minutes, if that. Hermione's Patronus vanished with a pop as she turned a horror-struck face to Harry. Harry, if we're trapped here, it won't be if we move fast. We, we won't be if we move fast, said Harry. He addressed the silent group behind them, who were all gawping at him. Who's got wands? About half of them raised their hands. Okay, all of you who haven't got wands need to attach yourself to somebody who has. You'll need to be fast before they stop us. Come on! They managed to cram themselves into two lifts. Harry's Patronus stood sentinel before the golden grills, 
as they shut and the lifts began to rise. Level eight, said the witch's cool voice. Atrium. <laughs> of course he'd put the atrium on eight. Harry knew at once that they were in trouble. The atrium was full of people moving from fireplace to fireplace, sealing them off. Harry, squeaked Hermione. What are we going to... Stop, Harry thundered. And the powerful voice of Runcourt echoed through the... Stop! Ooh, that was pretty good. The wizards... It echoed through the atrium. The wizards sealing the fireplaces froze. Follow me, he whispered to the group of terrified Muggleborns who moved forward in a huddle, shepherded by Ron and Hermione. "'What's up, Albert?' said the same balding wizard who had followed Harry out of the fireplace earlier. He looked nervous. "'This lot need to leave before you seal the exits,' said Harry with all the authority he could muster. The group of wizards in front of him looked at one another. "'We've been told to seal all exits and not let anyone—' "'Are you contradicting me?' Harry blustered. "'Would you like me to have your family tree examined?' Like I had Dirk Cresswell's. Sorry, gasped the balding wizard, backing away. I didn't mean nothing, Albert, but I thought I thought they were in for questioning and Their blood is pure, said Harry. Scooty bug right off and don't even need my blankets. And it's not what I need. You need it's not what you need either. Okay, anyway, I think I need to take a swig. Pardon me. Okay, sure. Their blood is pure, said Harry, and his deep voice echoed impressively through the hall. Pure than many of yours, I dare say. Off you go, he boomed to the Muggleborns, who scurried forward into the fireplaces and began to vanish in pairs. The Ministry wizards hung back, some looking confused, others scared and resentful, then, Mary! Mrs. Cattermole looked over her shoulder. The real Reg Cattermole, no longer vomiting, but pale and wan, 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 I don't know, had just come running out of the lift. R Reg? She looked from her husband to Ron, who swore loudly. The balding wizard gaped. His head turned ludicrously from one Reg Cattermole to the other. Hey, what's going on? What is this? Seal the exit! Seal it! Yaxley had burst out of another lift and was running toward the group beside the fireplaces, into which all of the Muggleborns but Mrs. Cattermole had now vanished. As the balding wizard lifted his wand, Harry raised an enormous fist and punched him, sending him flying through the air. He's been helping Muggleborns escape, Yaxley! Oh, he's been helping Muggleborns escape, Yaxley! Harry shouted. The balding wizard's colleagues set up an uproar, under cover of which Ron grabbed Mrs. Cattermole, pulled her into the still-open fireplace, and disappeared. Confused, Yaxley looked from Harry to the punched wizard, while the real, real Reg Cattermole screamed, My wife! Who is that with my wife? What's going on? Harry saw Yaxley's head turn, saw an inkling of the truth dawn in that brutish face. Come on, Harry shouted as, at Hermione. He seized her hand and they jumped into the fireplace together as Yaxley's curse sailed over Harry's head. They spun for a few seconds before shooting up out of a toilet into a cubicle. Harry flung open the door. Ron was standing there beside the sinks, still wrestling with Mrs. Cattermole. Reg, I don't understand. Let go. I'm not your husband. You've got to go home. There was a noise in the cubicle beside them, behind them. Why are we calling toilet stalls cubicles? This is I don't appreciate this speak because that's what I call my office is a cubicle. Anyway, it's just the toilet stall I work in. Harry looked around. Yaxley had just appeared. Let's go, Harry yelled. He seized Hermione by the hand and Ronda by, Ronda, Ronda, <laughs> and Ron by the arm and turned on the spot. Darkness engulfed them along with the sensation of compressing bands. But something was wrong. Hermione's hand seemed to be sliding out of his grip. He wondered whether he was going to suffocate. He could not breathe or see, and the only solid things in the world were Ron's arm and Hermione's fingers, which were slowly slipping away. 
And then he saw the door of number 12 Grimmauld Place with its serpent door knocker, but before he could draw a breath, there was a scream and a flash of purple light. Hermione's hand was suddenly vice-like upon his, and everything went dark again. And that is the end of chapter 13.